0: Today is our final message in this four-week series we've been in for the last uh, four weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. We call this the ghost, talking about the Holy Ghost, depending on which translation of Scripture you reference. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 2 and jump to a couple other places today as we look at what it means to have a Spirit-filled life. What does it mean to have the Spirit filling you and guiding you and directing your life? In Acts chapter 2, uh, this is when the early church was just getting started. And here's what the text says beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like, a bl- like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want to start with that one little word, filled with the Holy Spirit. If you go back to week one, we talked about John 14, when Jesus said it's actually best for you that I go away. Because when I go away, then I'm going to send a counselor or the comforter or the spirit of truth who will come and he'll be in you or he will, he will fill you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in that verse, in the original language, is called the paraclete. It means the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the guide, the intercessor. That Holy Spirit. Fills you. And Jesus says, It's better that I go away because I will send the paraclete, that counselor, that helper, to be in you and to be with you, to fill you. But when the Holy Spirit also comes, the Bible tells us that you will receive power. What kind of power? Week two, we looked at the power that we learn, that we have because of the Holy Spirit, the power to share Christ boldly, the power, the Spirit, to help you when you are weak. We looked at the power to have hope in a hopeless world. We looked at the power the Holy Spirit gives us to know the fullness of God. And then last week, we looked at the power of spiritual gifts for all believers, the gift of prophecy and the gift of faith, and the gift of healing and the gift of serving the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, and on and on and on. Several different gifts that are mentioned in Scripture. The Holy Spirit also gives us the power to live by the fruit of the Spirit, of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Scripture says these believers were filled with the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. Fills us as believers. The same spirit that said Jesus is no longer time to be in the tomb, we're now going to conquer death, we're going to defeat Satan, lives inside of the believer. And for those of you that are believers, this is absolutely amazing news. Absolutely amazing news to know that we have that same spirit that lifted Jesus out of the grave that lives inside of us. Now, if you're not a believer yet, I'm glad you're here and you're on the journey searching out Scripture. And you're trying to understand who is this Jesus. I want you to know there is a promise that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to live this life by your own. You have a spirit to walk in you to comfort you and guide you and direct you. And I pray that this series of sermons maybe has helped guided you towards, you know what, I want to take that step of faith. The Bible then says, and they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. At this moment in Scripture, things start to get a little tricky, a little controversial because they're speaking in other tongues. In Acts chapter 2, when it says they were speaking in tongues, it means they were speaking in other human languages. If you read on the Bible, it says there were God-fearing Jews that came from all over the world. So all over the world means they would have all kinds of languages and they're like, what is going on? That guy over there speaking my language, and that guy over there is speaking his language, that guy over there, and they're all speaking the Word of God in languages that they were not trained in, and these God-fearing Jews start to ask questions, they're like, this is crazy. They're like, what, what is going on here? They're really confused on what the disciples are doing, and they started to make fun of them, and they said, these guys must be drunk. Say the word with me, Drunk. I mean, they're like, these guys are toasted. They're wasted. They're like, they had too many beers last night. They must be drunk. And Peter stands up and says, No, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's nine in the morning. I promise you, they're not drunk. You may think they're drunk. They're not. They're just speaking in other tongues. It's like if. Some of us would stand up and start all of a sudden speaking Spanish or all of a sudden start speaking Russian, start speaking languages that we are not trained in. They started speaking those languages, proclaiming the name of God, speaking of tongues. It was very confusing for those who were looking on. on. Here we are some 2,000 years later, and this issue, this gift, is still very controversial in some In some circles, so to speak, today. For those of you that have been around the church world, oftentimes when it comes to this gift of speaking in tongues, the pendulum swings from one way to the other. pendulum goes all the way back and forth. For some Christians, they'll actually say to be Spirit-filled means you must speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you're more like a second-class Christian. Or maybe you're not even a Christian at all, because some make that as a mark and say, if you're able to speak in tongues, then we know you're in Christ. But if you're not able to speak in tongues, well... I actually had a lady when I was a youth minister that told me I was not a Christian because I did not have the gift of speaking in tongues. We had a nice little argument over the Bible that day. And so that's one way the pendulum swings. The other way the pendulum swings is... Hold on a minute. Those people who speak in tongues, they're crazy and they're out of their mind. They must be of the devil. And so let's not participate in that at all. Don't talk about that language. Don't even think about that language. That speaking in tongues no longer exists. That's got to be from the devil. And so we have a pendulum where you're not a Christian or it's of the devil. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been in a place when you've been in a worship service or a gathering of other Christians and you've seen someone speaking in tongues? How many of you have done that? A lot of people have been around that. How many of you would say, I think I've been around it. I've been in a room, and I think that's what was going on. I'm not, I'm not really sure. A few of you say that. How many of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. I'm waiting to see what you're going to say, Brian. <laughs> I'm praying for you. You've got 30 minutes of speaking in tongues. It's coming quickly. <laughs> Just kidding. Since this is such a controversial subject and so many times I think mistaught or misunderstood, let me take a few moments and see what the Bible says about speaking in tongues. Because some people use that as a measuring stick. Are you filled or are you not filled? Here's what we know from the Bible, two true truths key truths about speaking in tongues. There should always be an interpreter is spoken publicly is what the Apostle Paul guided the church in Corinth with. He says if the Holy Spirit moves or someone is speaking an unknown language, some might call it quote-unquote a prayer language or it could be another language on earth. Whatever this is, if it's being done in public, the Bible says in the church there must be interpretation. Look at the scriptures, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14. He says if anyone speaks in a tongue to or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. Someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. In other words, if there's no one to interpret, close your mouth. Because Paul knew that there was problems going on in the church. In other words, God has given you this gift. It, it, it appears that if you are in church, you can pray quietly you can kind of speak very quiet between you and God, but if no one is is there to interpret, then keep that public message quiet. There must not there must be interpretation. Quite honestly, this doesn't often happen. I've been in prayer services and worship services. I'm start speaking in tongues, and I start going, "What are they doing? What, are they okay?" Well, you know, I, I start thinking, "What kind of medicine are they on? Did they start? Were they drinking something?" I've been in that kind of service. Some of you probably been in that service, and when that happens, the unbeliever who's among the Christians, starts to think they really are crazy. Because this world thinks that the church is crazy. When they come in and they see that kind of behavior, they start going, what is going on? And they start thinking just like the Jews were thinking, these guys must be out of their minds. The Bible says only two or three at most should speak. Not everybody should speak, and they should do this with interpretation. Look at verse 23. So if the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, they will, not, will they not say that you are out of your mind? And so Paul's given some very distinct instructions in a worship service. When you're gathering, do not be crazy and out of your mind and out of control so that the unbeliever goes, they're freaks. They already think we're kind of crazy because we follow God's Word. He says don't give them basically any more tools. Everybody does it. Aren't they going to say or think they're whacked or out of mind? So let's not get discredited. That's one thing Paul says very specifically. If that's going to happen in your service, make sure there's an interpreter. The second truth is this. It's very clear. is that Speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking, not the entire church. Again, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul again writing, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather, you ha- rather you- that you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. It's very interesting to me that Paul is dealing with this one gift so much. Because back then, it was a controversy. Paul was talking to the church in Corinth. There was a lot of fighting going on, especially about spiritual gifts, but especially about this one gift. Here we are a couple thousand years later, and in some circles, the same thing is going on. In some circles, people are making judgments over this gift. But in chapter 12 last week, we looked at some of the gifts that he presented chapter 14 as explanations, very interested. squeezed right in the middle there, chapter 13, where he gave a whole teaching about love in the context of gifts. He says, basically, it says, I, I don't care about your gifts if they're not, they're not surrounded in love. Your gifts are useless if they're not covered in love. And he starts off in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, with, If you have the gift of speaking in tongues, the first one, he picks the most controversial one. If you speak in tongues, if you speak in tongues as men and angels, but have not love, you are only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. When Paul says, Basically, you are like a band that is out of tune that nobody wants to listen to. And he gives that warning. Speaking to these Corinthians, and basically when he says in verse 18, you can almost hear the tension. It's almost like Paul is saying, enough of this. Enough of trying to lift up that your gift is better than this person's gift or that person's gift. Don't focus so much on the gifts, but focus on the giver of the gifts. Paul says, let's focus on Christ, God, who is love, and that's what you should be bringing forward. Whatever gift you have, it should be used to bring forward the gift of love of God. First Corinthians 14, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. is a gift. It's valid. But verse 19, he says, But in the church, I would rather speak five. He says, five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So in other words, he's saying, There's a whole lot of you that are babbling on in some kind of foreign language that nobody understands. Can you give me five words that make sense? What would they be? Jesus loves you a lot. Does that make sense? Simple. I don't know if those would be the exact words, but choose five words that make sense that are of Christ. He says that's far better than ten thousand words that are babbled along in a tongue. So let me. You may ask, Brian. I get this question many times, and. Side conversations. Do you believe the gift of speaking in tongues is valid for today? Does it still exist? I believe personally it does. You may say, well, why don't we see this gift at center point? Well, the answer is because if everybody did it, they would think we're crazy. The other reason is because this gift can be confusing. And quite honestly, speaking five intelligible words is better than speaking in tongues without interpretation. The reason I bring this issue up is when we are talking about the Spirit-filled life, there is so much confusion about this one particular gift. The pressing question that I believe is most important for all of us is, is this. Do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Spirit? Because if you ever have been told that, I want you to know you've been told a lie. You've been told a lie. Some will teach you that it is. that It is absolutely important. But I want to tell you, When you've been told that, someone has told you who has been totally biblically uninformed and misunderstands Scripture, the answer is unequivocally, no, you do not. Just as you do not have to have another kind of gift or a certain kind of gift, we are all gifted in different ways. In fact, I would argue until the day that I die, That the evidence of a Spirit-filled life is a believer who exhibits the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. Put someone before me like that, and I go, I know that the Lord, the Spirit, is working inside of them. Matter of fact, I think one of the best compliments you could ever receive from somebody is someone says, when I'm around you, I just sense that Christ is here. Or I just want what you have. I I see that you are patient. I want that patience. Or I see your kindness. I I want that kindness. Or, Or you have such deep faith. I want to have that kind of faith. Someone speaks that or that's your testimony. You know Christ is working you. That's the best evidence. So let's do this for the rest of our time together. I want to talk specifically with you about how does it we as believers, those who are Christians, how do we live a spirit-filled life? What does it look like? What does it mean to live in the spirit? Turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Again, these are writings from Paul. I'm going from the Apostle Paul who started so many churches and who's written over half of the New Testament. So he keeps guiding one church after another church, one group of Christians, another group of Christians on how to walk in Jesus. And hear what he says to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter five. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Live by the spirit, Paul says. Be filled with the spirit, walk by the spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is out in front and you're walking behind. As the Spirit takes a step, you're taking a step with the Spirit. You're not running ahead of the Spirit and going, ah, catch up to me, Spirit. We're letting the Spirit spirit lead. And as the spirit takes a step, we take a step. And he goes on to say, live by the spirit and you not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, you won't, you won't be continuing to live in sin if you live by the spirit. And verse 17 says, for the sinful nature, which is our flesh, our body, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, what is against the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other. In other words, they're butting heads. Our sinful nature and the nature of the Spirit. Those of you who are believers, when you were spiritually born again, when you trusted Christ, spiritually you were renewed and you encountered a very real presence of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. Whether you felt it or not, the Holy Spirit moved in your life and made home inside of you. That's a gift that we have. Some of you may look at other Christians and you may be like, "Now, why does it seem like they, they can pray so strongly? Why do they seem like they're, they have such great faith? Why do they seem like they're so much more powerful than I am when it comes to my faith? Why do they seem so connected to God? They have the same spirit I have. Why is it I struggle so much and why, do they feel like they, why does it seem like they have so much power and so much victory? The reality is simple, is that they just may be more yielded to the spirit. They may just have learned how to keep more in step with the spirit. It's kind of like parenting. Some kids, you raise them, and you can have two or three or four kids in a home, and one kid is just so obedient and so loving and so wonderful, and the other kid's a hellion. And you're like, how do I have two kids in a house? I'm teaching them the same thing. And one is in step with mom and dad, and one is out of step. You still love them the same, but one needs a lot more guidance a lot more help. Some of us are like that. Some of us are right in step with the Spirit. Some of us just need a little more guidance, a little bit more help, a little bit more direction as we learn how to yield our life to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to do the right thing. And and our bodies say, I don't want to do the right thing. Our bodies say, well, I enjoy sin. Our body says, I don't want to do what the Holy Spirit says. No, I want to do what my mind says. So there's a war. There's this fight. There's this battle going on. And if you've ever seen someone... seems to have more power, it very simply could be that they've learned, just become more yielded, more in step with the Spirit. And many times that takes a lot of time. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's usually over a lifetime of being being sanctified and and growing in Christ. So he says, live by the Spirit. Now, turn your Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes these words to the church in Ephesus. Again, guiding these young Christians, here's how you live in Christ. He says, so be very careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk on wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What do you say? Be filled, don't be drunk. Be filled, don't be drunk. Don't be drunk on wine, which can what? Which can ruin your life, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting. Go back to our first passage that we dealt with. Acts chapter 2. What was the, what was the accusation? They must be what? They must be drunk. Who's been drunk here in your life? Uh, look, you guys are better than first service. First service I had a little bit like, oh, I'm in church. You guys are like, Man, we got it, Don't no Don't problem. We're guilty. <laughs> we're in church. See it, God, I'm confessing right now. I raised my hand. First service, we had a few raise their hands, but most were like, I'm not really sure. It's interesting. When you go back to that open verse, they're talking about these God-fearing Jews, and they're like, you are drunk. Paul makes a very clear comparison saying, don't be drunk, but instead, what? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. When someone is drunk, what do people say? They are under the what? They're under the influence. Someone's been pulled over. Why? Because they've been driving under the been driving under the influence of alcohol. When someone is drunk, they're under the influence of alcohol. There is something else that is controlling them, is what that means. They're under, they're under the power of. In other words, the alcohol is here and they're under the power of the alcohol or under the influence being controlled by the alcohol. And when that happens, you're under the influence of alcohol. What happens is is you think differently because the alcohol is taking charge and you think differently and you talk differently and you act differently because Up here is the alcohol, and you're under the influence, and so the alcohol takes control of your body, takes control of your mind, takes control of your heart, takes control of your thinking, and so you're under that influence, so you behave differently. And Paul's making a comparison saying, don't be drunk, but be filled. I think he's saying be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's here under the influence. I will think differently, I will speak differently, I'll behave differently because the Holy Spirit is what I'm under. And Paul makes a comparison, something that most of us understand. And even in that culture that they would understand to go, man, too much alcohol, and I do some crazy things, and say some crazy things, and behave in some crazy ways. And Paul's saying, look at alcohol does that to you, but here's what the Holy Spirit will do you. You could say under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul wants us to think differently and talk differently and act differently, to live by the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, and you'll be under the influence of that same Spirit that's raised Christ from the dead. Don't be drunk, be filled. Now, let's be honest. Why do people drink alcohol? To get drunk. Thank you, Nick. Most people drink alcohol to get drunk. Now, some of you are going, Brian, I don't agree with that. Some of you are saying, already, some of you are already arguing back. You're like, well, no, not actually. Brian, I love the taste of it. Okay, I'll give that to you. You might love the taste of it if you drink enough. You might like the taste. But upon first taste, some of you think way back. Upon the first taste of alcohol, did you like it? Most didn't. Most nobody did. Uh, if you never had any alcohol in your life, I don't recommend you do this, but it would be true if you go and you take a shot of tequila. I guarantee going down, you didn't say, man, that is just so smooth. <laughs> you know you didn't. You drank it and went, oh, <laughs> give me another one so I look big and bad. <laughs> you know, and it's just gross. Some of you know that from drinking beer. You're like, oh, man, that first sip of beer was horrible. To this day, I cannot drink a beer. It tastes disgusting. Now some of you are like, Brian, you're crazy. Well, my understanding of alcohol is that it doesn't have a good taste, but it's actually an acquired taste. So you drink a little bit more and you start to get used to it. I was making fun of my son in first service because for some reason he's getting into some of these um, energy drinks, rock star and everything. That stuff is disgusting. But you like the energy that it gives you, the pep that it gives you. And so some of these young people get used to drinking, and not always young people nowadays, are drinking these energy drinks. One could make an argument that if you drink just enough urine, you might start to like it. Let me give you a 12 bag. You're like, oh, that's gross. Why would you not consume that? Because you're not going to get drunk. It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't help you at all. But why do people get drunk? Some people get drunk because they want the comfort, the feeling that alcohol gives them. There are so many problems that when I get drunk, I feel comforted. I feel at ease. My problems are released. They seem to disappear because honestly, when they may not say it, but alcohol comforts me. And a lot of people pursue that drink. Other people, when they get drunk, they do it because it gives them confidence. Going out, oh, let me pop one open here. Just before I go out, that'll loosen me up a little bit. And then when I'm out and about at the bar with my buddies or at the friends, hey, let me pop another couple. And then some guy starts to think, man, you see that girl over there? Yeah, she would have nothing to do with me probably in a normal day, but today I think I could pick her up. And your buddies are like, you can't pick her up. Well, yeah, I can. And you go over the confidence to start that conversation and try to pick up some lady because the alcohol gives you that confidence. When he gets hooked, that old boy will do anything it takes to get another drink because it starts to control your mind, starts to control your speech, starts to control your behavior. Isn't it interesting How a substance in this world is a very bad counterfeit of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And Paul's the one that uses this analogy. See, some of you in this room right now may be like Brian. You're really kind of hitting close to home. You're bringing up a tough subject on me right now. This is this is my struggle. I kind of keep it hidden. I don't let people know about it. Do you have to use this analogy? I want to tell you that's not my analogy. That's the Lord's analogy. The Lord's one made the comparison between drinking and the Holy Spirit and being under influence of drinking or being under the uh, uh, influence of the Holy Spirit. See, when you're hurting, instead of being drunk, you can go to the comfort, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God who can comfort you in hardships, whose presence can give you a peace that goes beyond human capabilities and to understand or comprehend the very presence of God in a spirit form. The Holy Spirit, right at this very moment, be every bit comfort to you that you need. Instead of going to some substance, you may say, well... I drink to give me some confidence I try to try something that I can't do. But check this out. See, when you're under the influence of Spirit, alcohol may give you a confidence to, to, to attempt something that you cannot do, but the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do things you cannot do. I mean, I, I love it. The Holy Spirit gives you the gifts and the abilities to do things that we are not possible to be able to do on our own. Supernatural gifts from God given to every believer to serve the church and to make a difference in the world. Supernatural gifts that enable you to do what you could not do without the Spirit's help. And Paul says, That's available to us. Jesus says, That's the Spirit that has been sent to you. That's why I left so you can have that Spirit dwelling inside of you. And then when you experience the presence of the Spirit, just like a drunk who will do anything for another drink, You will truly experience the Holy Spirit. You will do anything you can to get more of the Spirit. You'll get hungry and say, I I need more of the Spirit. I need more of His Word. I need more of His Christian friends. I need more worship. I need more time with Him. I need more prayer time. I just need to spend more time with the Spirit to be in His presence, to be filled uh, with His power, to be transformed by His goodness, to understand His comfort and His guidance and His power to give you hope and a hopeless world and the gifts and the fruits that will move in you and through you so you can live a supernatural life in a very natural world. Paul says, don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. What have you been filled on lately? What have you been filled on? To those of you who have grown up or been in church a long time, sometimes you get into foolish debates. S- some of you even like to try to debate your preacher. You'll come in and you won't say, a preacher, I want to have a debate. I-, I got a question for you, Brian. And you want to test out on some debatable things. And I, I want to educate you on one debatable issue around the spirit that I, I think is-, is kind of a stupid debate, but it's out there. Some of you are probably aware of it. the The debate is this: at at the moment of salvation, do you experience all the Holy Holy Spirit, or is there a second blessing? Is there a second baptism of the Holy Spirit? Like, like, you know, if I come forward and I repent and I confess my. My, that Jesus is my Savior and I'm baptized and I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, is there another move of God when I receive the Spirit again? That's the debate or that's the question out there. And if you've been around long enough, you know that tremendous debate. If you don't know it, then this just helps you be aware when it does rise up someday because most likely that question will rise up. To me, it is very, very silly. To me, it's very silly because whether there is one or there is two. If there is two, then I promise you there must be three, and there must be four, and there must be 10, and 12, and 18, and 20 million fillings of the Spirit. Because then there's like, when does it stop? Here's the truth of the matter. The most literal translation of to be filled with is this present tense verb is continue being filled. It's a continuing being filled. It's not I'm filled one time and i just done. It's on continue, to be filled and continued and be continued and continued. Continue to fill yourself with the Spirit. It's a continual, ongoing work of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life to sanctify them, to make them more like Christ. And it's not just one time and it's all done. You continue to fill yourself with the Spirit. It's a nonstop, ongoing, progressive work of the Spirit. So when people want to debate was it, Twice or three or four times, I'm like it just continues. God continues to fill me, continues to fill you, continues to work in you. There are more spiritual gifts available to you. There is an abundance of spiritual gifts and fruit that are available, and God wants to continue to grow you and shape you and mold you to become more and more like his son. There is more power, and there is more sanctifying work, and there is a continual and progressive work of the Spirit. You say, well, how do I get that continual filling? Because for some, it feels like, well, I gave my life to Christ and it just kind of stopped. Or maybe I gave myself to Christ and I started growing and then it stopped somewhere along the way. Some of you need to take another drink. Some of you need another drink. You're not drunk enough, so to speak. You need to take another drink of the Spirit of God. For some in this room, you need to take another drink of His Word. The Bible that you have sits on the shelf too much. We have the scriptures so available to us today, more available to us than any other time in history, but we live in the most biblically illiterate society. The only reason for that is because of our own laziness, because Satan fights against us, and we're letting him win. You have a Bible app, maybe on your phone. You have paper Bible. If you go home to my home office, I probably have... 12, 15 Bibles. You need a Bible, holler at me. I'll, I'll give you one of my Bibles. Bible apps, you can download them. We can listen to the Bible on our, on our devices. We can listen to it in our car. We have the Bible surrounded all around us in all kinds of avenues. Some of us need to start drinking the Word of God, and the Word of God then fills you, and that's how the Holy Spirit works inside of your life. For others, it may just you need to spend some time practicing some quiet prayer time. We live in this rush, 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 go world. We live in this world that is just consumed with being busy. You've heard of me say it before, the word busy, being under Satan's yoke. Some of us are under Satan's joke because we're allowing busyness to, to destroy us. And we're running so much that we don't stop just to talk with the Lord. Or technology is all around us. What about turning off the devices? Turning off the television? Turning off the iPad? Turning off the cell phone? Turn all that off and just sit before God and say, God, I'm here, let's just talk. no, no no purposeful list, nothing real long and hard. God, I'm here. I just want to talk. What about just going for a walk and just looking at the beauty around us? You know, the drive that Brianna was referencing earlier, we saw parts of Kentucky we've never experienced before. And Kentucky is one stinking beautiful state. It is. You got to go drive around it, get off the main roads and get out of Lexington. But you just start driving and you start talking to God like, God, you are so cool. Look at your creation. You start having conversations with God, and you get filled just by spending time with God in prayer. For some, it's just singing a song of worship. I love, I love to get up in the morning, and my kids make fun of me because on my phone, I have a station that's been created on my music list that's all old hymns. And they laugh at me because I love to listen to some of the old hymns. It takes me back to what I grew up on. I love to sing some of the old hymns, and my wife laughs at me when she's laying in and hear me howling because I can't sing, but there's nothing like just worshiping the Lord and just singing. Some of you are good at singing just to spend time with the Lord or even to make up your own songs of praise, just to praise the Lord and spend some time singing. Some of you, quite honestly, it's time to take another drink. I've said this before and kind of said it last week. If your Christianity is that you just come to church on Sunday and maybe it's just every now and then, they tell us now that the regular churchgoer goes to church 1.7 times a month. 1.7 times a month. If that's your filling of the Spirit, may I just suggest your tank is empty? You're not very filled. Because when you go to church, it's kind of hit it here or there. What happens, though, is then we settle in and go, well, that's my Christianity. I go to church, sing some songs, hear a sermon, and go home. That's not what God's plan was. It should be every single day being filled continually with the Spirit of God filling you over and over and over and over and over again. It's time to take another drink of the Holy Spirit. It's time to take a drink. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled and continually ongoing be filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are here today because you need to be filled with the Spirit. Some of you are here today. The Holy Spirit brought you to this moment so that you would understand that the very same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and you do not have to live a spiritless life. Some of you are here today to hear that message. You can be filled Some of the words we learn with the pneuma, the ruach, the paracolete, the wind of God, the power of God to live a supernatural life and a very natural world. The Holy Spirit is available to you. He wants to touch you, comfort you, guide you, convict you, empower you, live through you, and give you the gifts to serve the church and serve God and take a and to make a supernatural difference in this world. Are you being filled with the Spirit? Be filled. Continue to be filled. Don't be drunk. Don't be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and you'll never be the same. I want to ask you to do something with me. Stand up for a second. We did this in first service and it worked. All right. I'm going to ask you to take a step on my count. Now, for some of you, because of where you're at, you may have to take a step to the left. Some of you have to take a step to the right. Some of you might be able to take a step forward. Okay. But on my count, well, on my count, I'm going to say, one, two, three, take a step. Let's just take a step together. Ready? One, two, three, step. All right, one, two, three, step. One, two, three, step. You notice how we're all stepping in unison? So Spirit wants us to do. One, two, three, step. Spirit says to you, one, two, three, step. Spirit says, I want you to speak. My word. One, two, three, step. Spirit says, I want you to reach out and love this person. One, two, three, step. Spirit says, I want you to pray for this person. One, two, three, step. The Spirit says, I want you to overcome this sin. One, two, three, step. The Spirit says, I want to empower you and give you gifts and abilities for my kingdom, my purposes. Please use them. One, two, three, step. To keep in step with the Spirit. Not to stay ahead of the Spirit. Not to wrong alongside the Spirit, but to keep in step, letting the Spirit lead. Church, I beg of you and plead of you. Be in step with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask that your presence, your Holy Spirit, do a supernatural work in all of our lives. God, we pray for everybody in this room that is a believer. I pray that, God, that, you, that we would be filled and that we continue to be filled and that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, that reality of the Holy Spirit would ever be present and that we would be filled upon your spirit and not filled upon anything of this world. Lord, I pray that we would keep in step with your Spirit, that we would not try to run ahead of your Spirit, that we would not walk side by side, but that we would keep in step, one step right behind the other, Lord, it in step with your Spirit, that we allow your Spirit to lead us. Father, would you give us hearts of obedience? Would you move in our minds and our hearts that we would recognize where we are not in step and we would desire to make a change and make moves towards that change? Father, I pray that the people in this room maybe who have not accepted Jesus as Savior, today could be that day and they could have the power of the Spirit living in them for guidance for everything for life. Father, I pray you'd move in their heart and their mind to accept that message of the cross.